morning. So we're reading from 2 Timothy, chapter 3. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women, who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thanks, Mel, uh, and good morning, everyone. My name's Cam Maxwell. I'm one of the staff here. Let me add my welcome to that of Joe's from earlier. Um, I, I want to make an assumption in my sermon this morning, and I think it's a fair one. My assumption is this. Uh, if we're followers of Jesus, we want to grow. Uh, we want to keep maturing as Christians. We want to know God more. We want to be more like Jesus. We want to have our hearts continually changed and our lives continually transformed. We want to grow in faith, in hope, and in love. That's, that's my assumption, I think, uh, for followers of Jesus. I think that's a general desire uh, we have. Now, I also assume, having said all that, that uh, what's true for me is true for others as well. Uh, as much as we might have that desire, uh, we feel like often we're not growing. Uh, and maybe sometimes like we're going backwards in our faith. Uh, we might wonder, well, is that it? Have I kind of just, uh, have I matured as much as I can? Have I reached my, as it were, potential as a Christian? And now I kind of just go through the motions until Jesus returns. 
Sometimes though, it might just be that our desire has kind of faded away a little. Uh, it might be that we've got our big questions kind of sorted out now, and uh, you know we know we're saved by grace, we know and love Jesus, and uh, the big things in our lives have been transformed. We're involved in church life, we're giving ourselves in service to others, and uh, you know, sure there's sin in our life, but you know, it's not as bad as it was. We might just feel actually that spiritual life has kind of plateaued, and uh, perhaps we kind of get okay with that. You know, life's busy, and sure, it'd be nice to grow. Maybe we're not sure how, what the next step would be. And sometimes our desire to continually grow just kind of fades away, and we settle. Uh, we settle for a life with Jesus that's just about maintaining a relationship uh, rather than growing it. Now, you don't need to nod at this point or put up your hands, uh, but I think uh, all of us, uh, if we're followers of Jesus, have found ourselves in flat spots or, or going backwards, uh, or just in maintenance patterns, as it were. It might be you this morning, you feel in a flat spot, and uh, perhaps as I talk about it, you, you feel that frustration, you want to grow, but it's, it's not happening. So if my assumption is right, that generally we do want to grow as Christians, we do want to grow, well, my hope this morning uh, is to give us confidence, uh, to give us assurance that we can keep growing as Christians. We will grow to maturity in Christ. It's not something we need to sort of, uh, sort of think we've finished with. We keep growing our whole lives. The reason I say that, of course, is that God himself promises this. God promises to keep working in us. He promises to keep growing us. It's not a case of Jesus saving us and then sort of abandoning us until, you know, we see him again. He goes to work in us. So this morning, uh, we're going to be thinking about how God grows and matures us, and that, I hope, uh, will sort of renew, uh, if, if helpful, renew our desires to grow. And I hope it will equip us for a life of growth as we explore these things together this morning. So the first question is, how does God grow us? How does he transform us? How does he help us grow to know him better? The short answer for that, and uh, this won't be shocking, the short answer is that God uses words. God uses words. It's not the only way that God grows us, but uh, it is the primary way that God grows us to maturity in Christ, by using words. Words. Does that underwhelm you a little bit? Words? Really? Has God not been paying attention? We live in a world of images, Pictures are what change lives. Who needs words when a picture says a thousand words? See, advertisers, they know this. They know that uh, images will change lives. An image speaks to the heart. It speaks to our emotions. It can be very powerful. So if an advertiser wants to sell me a car, they don't want me thinking about whether I need a new car with words. They want to show me how good it is to have a brand new car. They want my heart to desire this car. I'll see myself sitting in this beautiful, shiny new thing, uh, my life will suddenly be better if I buy this car. I will always be on holidays. Uh, everyone I know and myself will be much better looking all of a sudden. Like the pictures of advertising are powerful. They change our lives. They speak straight to the heart, don't they? When it comes to spiritual matters, I think there's a similar thing going on often. For many people, our words are sort of dismissed as being just for the mind, whereas spirituality is about the heart. And for some people, it's actually far better to bypass the mind. Don't think too much about this religious stuff. Just spirituality is in the heart. And that's why we often see a great reliance on beautiful buildings, great cathedrals, uh, with beautiful stained glass windows to kind of create a sense of, of the supernatural. 
It might be uh, things like fairy lights, nothing wrong with them, uh, smoke machines, whatever it may be. Sometimes we're trying to create this atmosphere, spiritual kind of uh, feeling, because words, well, they don't change us. Now, it's true, of course, images, and wor- uh, images uh, do have power. And, of course, it's true that words are sometimes just fluffy. <laughs> words can be useless. Words can also be hard work. We look at words on a page and it takes thought, it takes time to process. Like, why read the book when you can watch the movie? Having said all that, uh, we do know, though, don't we, that words are incredibly powerful. Words can change us in a way that images can never do. Words can bring a, a truth with a certain clarity that a picture can't. There's far less ambiguity often with words. Think about the power of words, say, in a marriage ceremony, uh, the simple words, I do, changes lives, doesn't it? The moment in time those words are uttered forever changes the life. In a courtroom, the same thing, the words innocent or guilty, those words have incredible power, don't they? A text message uh, accidentally sends the wrong person, well, very quickly ruins a relationship. We know as well, don't we, uh, I guess the way that words are powerful in a negative sense. We hear, you know, sticks and stones break bones. We all know bones heal in a few weeks, but words, they can hurt. They can cut very deep, leaving deep personal scars that stay with us all of our days. Now, words are powerful, and I've just spoken so far about human words. Let's turn now to God's words. Well... In the beginning, God said, he said, let there be light, and there was light. God made the whole universe with words. Now, the more you think about it, the more extraordinary that is. Words. Like, how? As far as we know, God doesn't have lungs and vocal cords. What does it even mean for God to speak? How does speaking a word create something? An atom, a star, a cell. How does that work? How about this? Here's a question. Do you know why the universe continues to exist? Why do you continue to be you? Your atoms stay together as they do. Why does time and gravity keep working in the same way as well? According to the Bible, and I've got Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 for us to look at. According to the Bible, God the Son sustains all things by his powerful word. Jesus uses words somehow to sustain all things. That's extraordinary power, isn't it? When you think about what the Word is doing, it's mind-blowing. And what's more, God's words do things. They always do things. It's never just noise. God doesn't sort of chatter away and hope we listen. I've got for us on our slide Isaiah 55. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth, says God. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So just like rain does things, it it waters the earth, it brings life, God's word always accomplishes what he sends it out to do. They will not return to him empty. God's words do exactly what he wants. Now, it's a very big picture. How about us? How do we think about God's word in our own lives? What does God want his word to do in our lives? 
Well, that's what our reading in 2 Timothy 3 was all about today. Now, I encourage you to uh, open that again if you've closed it, or um, if you have it open, it'd be great to uh, keep it open for a little while. In 2 Timothy 3, among other things, uh, we see that there is a difference. We see the difference between uh, a life that has God's Word at the center and one that doesn't. If you're skimming through the first nine verses of 2 Timothy 3, what you see there is Paul describing what happens when God's Word is ignored or rejected or disbelieved. It's disastrous, isn't it? I'll skim through that list quickly. There's lovers of self, lovers of money, conceited, unforgiving, slanders, to pick a few. Do you notice, this is not describing just people in general. This is not people out there. Have a look at verse 5. This is people in the church. Verse 5, they have a form of godliness. That is, they look kind of like they've got this religious life sorted out. They have a form of godliness, but denying its power. What's going wrong? Well, verse 8... These are people who oppose the truth. Now, the truth is what God speaks. They are opposing His Word. Verse 7, they keep learning, but never find the truth. What a wasted and tragic life. Always learning, never learning the truth. I think these first nine verses give us a picture of a religion that only pays kind of lip service to God's Word not about a life sitting humbly under God's Word, accepting truth. And so the result isn't well, it's empty religion, but far worse. Lives are not changed, but just ridden with, with sinful problems. But then verse 10, and this is the really positive uh, take, uh, the great alternative Paul gives to Timothy from verse 10, there is a better way. Verse 14, the better way is to continue in what you have learned, which is, verse 15, what's well, what Timothy learned in Sunday school the Holy Scriptures. Don't move on from Scripture or away from Scriptures because the Holy Scriptures, God's Word, they are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul kind of explains to Timothy what's going on here, we we see that God's Word, it reveals and confirms that Jesus is the only way to be saved. God's Word shows us how faith in Him reconciles us to God. It shows us that we can have assurance of eternal life when we turn to Jesus. Now, this is a great promise we we come across here in 2 Timothy 3. And perhaps if you're someone here who's checking out Jesus and the claims of the Bible, uh, I think, firstly, wonderful to have you here. It's always wonderful to have uh, people here investigating these uh, great truths. But do you see the promise here? And I think this is a great encouragement for you. If it's salvation, if it's eternal life that you're curious about, well, Scripture... The Bible is always the place to go. It's the place where we'll find answers to our questions. We'll be able to see more clearly what life is all about. And so, if that's you and you'd like to find out more, if you'd like to read Scripture, we have a number of people who would love to sit down, buy a coffee, and go through part of God's Word with you. If you're interested in that, please maybe just make a note on the little tear-off slip on your leaflet and hand that in later. For all of us, though, verses 16 and 17, these are the crucial verses. It's quite a famous uh, section of 2 Timothy where we see that all Scripture is God-breathed. That is, the ultimate source of every word of Scripture is God Himself. All Scripture is God-breathed. So, all Scripture is powerful. All Scripture is true. It's all God's Word. So, what happens when we read Scripture with faith? 
Well, God, by the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit, the same Spirit who caused these words to be written, who breathed these words, the same Holy Spirit, as we read these words, applies those words to our lives. And He teaches us through the Word. He teaches us what is true, what is false. By the Word, the Spirit rebukes us and corrects us. That is, He convicts us of sin. There are things that we need to change or repent of the Word will illuminate for us. And so, we are trained in righteousness. Our lives are shaped to live as God has made us. We are made more and more like Jesus as we come to Holy Scripture. Uh, That's not all. Verse 17. Through the Word, we're told, we are thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is, our lives become fruitful. We know what that looks like. We know how to be fruitful. And the word thoroughly, I think, is critical because it tells us, with Scripture, we are not deficient in any way. There's not some secret to having the perfect Christian life we're missing out on. Uh, we don't need some guru to sort of you know, explain the mystery or the secret to being a great Christian. We don't need some extra special revelation from God. We don't need some uh, direct word from God when we have Scripture. We don't need anything else. Because of the power of God's Word, carried along by His Spirit, God will do the great work to thoroughly equip us. Now, in this chapter, Paul is showing Timothy and us that growth to maturity in the Christian life, that's, again, what I'm assuming we all desire, that growth to maturity happens as we continue in Holy Scripture. Having God's Word teach us, correct us, rebuke us and train us. Now, if you've been coming to this church for a while, I suspect that's not new information for you. Uh, And, you know, as we think about what I've just said, you know, read the Bible more, it doesn't sound that exciting, does it? It doesn't sound exotic, and it might not, you know, fill you with great confidence that we can just go out and be changed as we read. But, these words we've read in 2 Timothy 3 are powerful. And I hope they encourage us that actually God will transform us. He will grow us through His Word. That's God's promise question then is, what do we do? How do we make the most of this extraordinary power in God's Word? How do we make sure that we're growing? I want to uh, think about that in two ways, starting first as uh, corporately, thinking about us as a church, how we do that, and then we'll sort of narrow in a bit more on what it will look like for each one of us. Uh, If you have your Bible still open there, you'll see the very next thing that Paul tells Timothy. We didn't read this, but at the start of chapter 4, we're told that the Word of God has to be preached, verse 2. Uh, The preaching of God's Word, as we sort of unpack what's going on here, the preaching of God's Word includes correcting, uh, shaping our thinking and and sort of making it in line with truth. Preaching includes rebuking, that is shaping how we live in line with God's truth and calling us to repent where necessary. Preaching includes encouragement. Like Jesus on the cross really did pay for our sins. There is no guilt remaining for those who remain in Him. We keep going, we keep growing. That is the work of preaching, to encourage us. So in verse 3 of 2 Timothy 4, one of the main reasons, though, that Paul urges preaching, preaching the Word, is so that our doctrine remains steady and safe. That is, the things we know about God, the set of beliefs we have, well, we can't afford those to be wonky or vague. They're too important. So, of course, our commitment here as a church, as uh, many of you appreciate, our commitment here, as we gather, is to give priority to the reading and preaching of God's Word. 
That's always been the case in churches, and uh, many, and myself included, would argue, unless the gospel is preached as we gather, then I'm not sure it's church. I know many of you uh, comment and are very positive about uh, that great commitment uh, of this church, and it's one of the things you appreciate and love, our commitment to preaching you know, as well as we can uh, through all of Scripture, the whole counsel of God. You know, we look at all parts of the Bible, Leviticus, Revelation, we do it all. And as one of the two main preachers here, and I'm confident I can speak on behalf of Matt as well, uh, I want to thank you for the many ways that you affirm and value preaching in our church. For the thoughtful comments at the door about how you know, God's Word uh, spoke to you and encouraged you, or you found helpful, for the little slips of paper we often get with just uh, the way you're impacted by God's Word. Uh, seeing someone taking notes as we preach and carefully looking at, you know, I'll say something, someone looks at the Bible and actually makes sure I'm you know, not getting it wrong, that's really encouraging. It's really encouraging. Having questions come in on the SMS line, like these are the things that Matt and I love because it shows that together we're engaging in the most wonderful thing we can, the words of God that bring life. So thank you for your great encouragement. Uh, preaching is core, it's central to uh, our life together and our growth. Here's the thing, preaching by itself is limited in how far it can grow us as individuals. Preaching is limited and if we depend only on preaching, well, our growth as Christians will be limited. For a start, you, let's be honest, you have limited preachers, uh, we'll do what we can but, you know, we'll get it wrong, we'll distract from God's Word, we'll apply it wrongly or just not uh, particularly helpfully at points. So there's that, but really, the, the real limitation of preaching is this. Think about what a sermon can and can't do. A sermon can and should go deep into theology. We should uh, be considering the full width and breadth of the wonderful doctrines about who God is and what He's done for us. We can and should explain and make clear who Jesus is and what He's done for His people, and the wonderful promises and great realities that we have in Christ. That's what preaching does. But when it comes to correcting and rebuking and encouraging or training, a sermon can only do that in a general sense. It cannot connect with the detail. It cannot connect. Sorry, it cannot connect with the individual details in every single life. We can do it the general, but a sermon can't touch the specific very often. Every day, every one of us have specific issues, concerns, fears, dilemmas. Sin that we kind of want to change, patterns of thought we're not sure about. There are specific things that God's Word can and does speak directly to and about, but in a sermon, well, I obviously can't speak to everyone about every single one of those things. Look, my sermons are long enough as they are, I'm trying to get them shorter, not longer. So the question for us as a church is, well, how do we apply the Gospel to the specific details of our lives? Sermons give the big picture, the general principles, but to grow to maturity, well, we need to have God's Word applied to the specifics, the details. We need to wrestle with the individual kind of constraints and things we struggle with. We want to have the, the Word shaping our habits, our behaviours and our hearts in the day-to-day. -day. Now, a few months ago, uh, these ideas, by the way, I've taken from a talk, and a few months ago, the, the talk was uh, from a guy called Tony Payne, uh, some of you might have come across his work. He's a Christian, Australian Christian uh, thinker and author. And Tony, among other things, is working on a PhD. And his PhD is basically on how the New Testament uh, talks about the Word of God in the lives of God's people. 
And Tony's conclusion uh, is that preaching is one of the main ways that, that churches will grow, uh, especially in our knowledge of God and who He is. Uh, but to grow as disciples, whose lives and uh, our details are shaped by God's Word, we need to see the many instances in the New Testament where disciples speak to one another. See, the Sunday gathering, like this, is just one part of our life together. The Word is preached, and the rest of our life together, the Word of God is shared one to another. For instance, our last week we spoke about Colossians 3, and the, again, I think there's a slide here. Uh, let the message, that is literally the Word of Christ, talking to church, let the Word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. That's a ministry of the Word as we sing. And last week, uh, we, in my community group, we sort of joked about, we can still do that without singing, right? You can actually just talk to each other and do those same things, right? See, it's kind of weird, but uh, in a sermon about uh, the power of God's Word, noting the irony here, I want to show you a diagram of how this, I think, works. Uh, this is my sketch of Tony Payne's big idea and how the New Testament urges us to grow. Preaching can and should cover all truth and knowledge about God as we work through Scripture, as we do. But preaching can only apply God's Word to our lives, as I said, in a general way. It can't touch the very specific things we're worried about, struggling with. What that means is that if we're relying on sermons as our only source of growth in the Christian life, the only nourishment we're having week to week is a sermon, well, look, it's a good start. But, as you'll see in the next slides, uh, the picture in the New Testament, uh, the picture we have of what Christian life is like together, is that God's Word, we share it with one another. We touch in on the specifics of our lives with one another. So, for instance, uh, tomorrow morning, your boss comes into your office, and I don't know if there's any accountants in the room, but let's just say they give you an ethical tax problem, you know, there's a dilemma there you're facing. Now, you can go to your community group, and you can talk about it. Go to a Christian friend and ask them, well, like, how, does, how does the Word of Christ, how does the Gospel help me as a Christian respond to this dilemma I'm facing? That kind of conversation we have at that point helps us grow as disciples in a way my sermon can't. Now, I think this, this picture that we have, uh, this is a picture of the kind of church we're called to be. With preaching that is careful and thoughtful and, you know, I hope engaging and, and applied to our lives. But it's in our life together, the relationships we have, the conversations we have as we're you know, setting up chairs in the morning or as we're making coffees or uh, just catching up over morning tea together. We have to have the Word of Christ in our conversations within our relationships. During the week as we have a meal with each other or you know, catch up for coffee to, to pray and read Scripture with each other. As we spend time with our children, we, we try and show how the Gospel connects with the things they're thinking about and their concerns. Especially, I think, in the way we try and structure things as a church, community groups are a huge part of this. Community groups, I think, are essential for our discipleship as we share life around the Word with each other and seeing how the Gospel detail intersects with the, sort of the details of our lives. Please hear me say, I don't think this means every conversation we have needs to be an intense theological one and you know, deeply personal questions all the time. Let's still talk about the footy, let's still talk about the weather, that's good. Uh, but I guess my concern is if that's all we find ourselves talking about with everyone, if that's all we find ourselves talking about, well, this is clearly an area we might need to grow in. 
I also want to say, I know this is not a natural thing for perhaps all of us to do, uh, to have God's words sort of just dropped into our conversations. It feels a bit uh, sometimes clunky or awkward, we don't know what to say. I suspect this is an area we all want to grow in. Now, I don't have all the answers on how we might grow. In a moment, I'll suggest a few general principles. But of course, uh, this will be a good thing for us to talk about with one another. Ask each other, how can we as a church let the Word of Christ dwell among us richly? That is a great conversation to be having and and thinking more about. Now, the past few weeks, uh, our current series on Gospel Heat, we've explored uh, elements of our life together as a church. Uh, The idea is we want to be a healthy church. We want to have each part of our life together working together to make us a church where we're making and growing healthy disciples. Uh, Matt's shown the next diagram a few times uh, through our series. Uh, We've seen how singing and serving and focusing on missions to the lost, these elements, uh, they work together to generate what we might call gospel heat, a kind of squiggly line in the middle. Um, The idea is we're working towards a culture and a climate uh, where we are an effective witness to the world of how glorious Jesus is and how great a saviour he is. Do you see, though, this diagram that uh, we're trying to work towards as a church, no matter what structures we have, no matter what programs or events we run, everything is dependent upon being deep in the Word, growing in maturity to Christ, and dependent in prayer. Now, quick side note, I haven't spoken at all about prayer this morning. Uh, that's certainly a sermon for another day. For now, I just want to assume, actually, if we're deep in the Word, we're going to be deep in prayer as well. Those two things always happen together. But that's for another day. The idea here is, Word and prayer, I think, are the engine room of our church. It drives everything. It drives everything. As we grow in depth in the Word, everything that we do, the way we serve, the way we sing, the way we uh, have hearts for the lost, it all grows. It takes all of us this thing we're working on together, it takes all of us going deep in the Word ourselves and sharing with each other, encouraging each other, building each other up in the Word, in the Gospel. Now, going deep in the Word, all of us will find that difficult for different reasons. Uh, some of us just cringe with guilt every time we sort of hear about the importance of reading the Bible for ourselves, we're not doing a great job, and we just, every time we try, we feel like we just go nowhere Full disclosure, uh, at the moment, my personal Bible reading is not going great. It's all over the place. I'd like to blame my kids for that, but uh, it's not fair on them. Uh, it's hard, isn't it? Let's, let's keep acknowledging it. It can be hard. We can go through seasons where like, our own Bible reading uh, struggles. All of us find the Bible hard going. We've all had those moments in life. We think, all right, I'm going to read the whole Bible this year. Start at Genesis. This is good. Halfway through Exodus. This is okay. Leviticus. Uh, maybe I'll leave it to next year. We've all had experiences uh, struggling through Scripture. And some of us, I think, perhaps feel embarrassed that we don't know Scripture as well as we'd like to. And then we sort of come across people who seem to be able to quote anything at will in in the original Greek. And perhaps that kind of destroys our confidence, uh, that maybe we don't know enough to even share it with. We want to keep it to ourselves and uh, feel awkward as other people share spiritual things. I think all of us, as I've already said, might feel conversations about the gospel and the details of our lives. It feels awkward. We might not know where to start, where to drop things in, what to say. So my plea for us as a church, working towards being a healthy, effective church, and this is a plea to myself as much as anyone, is to work out the next step, just the next step, so that we grow 
in our depth in the Word? What's the next thing we can do to grow us? It might be as simple as saying, well, next year I'm going to join a community group. I'll give it a go. Didn't like it when I tried it a few years ago. I'm going to give it a go. It might be reading a book, uh, perhaps trying to uh, pick up a book that shows how the Bible fits together to fill some gaps you might feel you have. Um, You might not be a reader, but I'm sure all of us could perhaps aim at one book a year. That would be a great book to read. I can recommend plenty. Well, this one, I was uh, really encouraged uh, to hear of a couple at this church who wanted to invest in their marriage. And so the husband organized a date night, got you know, the wine and the, and the plate of antipasto, and they, they talked through the passage uh, that was preached on Sunday, and they sort of reflected on it and shared how it sort of intersected with their life. Isn't that brilliant? It might be as simple as trying to articulate to yourself as you sort of sit in sermons each week, just trying to have those moments of reflection we try and have. Articulate to yourself, what was encouraging or helpful in that sermon? What part of the Bible passage stood out to me? What do I need to think through more? What do I need to change? What questions do I still have? And then you could just ask those same things to someone you trust. Now, I can keep suggesting things, I can keep going on on those, but as I've said, uh, a sermon will be limited in helping you each take the next step you need to. It's going to be different for all of us. A discussion I hope we keep having and, uh, yeah, we'll keep encouraging in as we do this together. So, uh, would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we praise you for how powerful and how precious and how true your word is. We thank you so much that through your word, by your spirit, you promise to grow us to maturity. Please help us as a church be doing that together. Help us do the work of listening to you carefully and thoughtfully and prayerfully. Please help us be a church where the word of Christ dwells in everything we think and say. We ask you to do this for your glory for our growth, and for the sake of the lost. We ask you to help us. Amen.